This is something. That's fine. I mean, I can break through walls, I just can't. That's fine. I get this. Greetings, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. Yeah, yeah. Get ready for everlasting. Honey! Where's my super suit? What? Where is my super suit? You tell me what I thought is, woman. We are talking about the greatest good. Don't go there! I live there. I bought a house there. I'm gonna take you there! To boldly go where no man, no one has gone before. And remember, have fun with it! Hello everybody and welcome to Project Shadow, episode number 578, The Voice of Reconnection. Hi, my name is Charlie. Yeah, hi. Remember me? Yeah, there's been so much going on and yeah, we're not gonna go through all that again well kind of but there's so much going on and it's been hard to do these episodes for many reasons most of which is i don't want to get political so i'm not kind of ish i'm not gonna be talking about anything about the presidential campaign so don't worry about that but i do have to start with one thing that just drove me nuts so the other day I'm going through and I'm looking at the headlines and looking at what's going on. And I see this article over at the University Times titled, What's the Point of LGBT Literature? Now, the uh, little quote box on this is, Lauren Guy speaks to LGBT authors Michael Cunningham and Mary Dorsey about the enduring appeal of LGBT books in a society that's more accepting than ever. And I'm not going to talk about this article. It's it's a good article. You should definitely go read it. It, it. it inspired a rant from me, which was a good thing. But I, I'm really, I'm not going to talk about this article. I'm not going to be telling you what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. Because I actually want to answer the question. And I think the question here is far more important than maybe even the author realized. And I want to start from a very simple place. I don't think LGBT literature is what it used to be. I know I often think of my own work as LGBT fiction. And I label it that way because I often have gay or genderqueer characters in the work that I do. But it's not the gay literature I grew up reading. And a lot of that had to deal with literature that deal, dealt with the struggle and what it was like under the social oppression that our people were under. And what I find myself writing about more and more these days is characters whose voices I don't see, characters that I want to see, and stories that... I don't think anybody else would tell. I mean, The Chain is a story that no one else would have told. And I know that because of a lot of the reviews which had a hard time coping with the narrative because it wasn't the traditional story that they expected. I've gotten into a lot of arguments with people over whether or not it's a supernatural romance. I personally don't think it is, but several kind reviewers have taken me to task on that and said that it is 
but the whole point of the book was to explore a world differently. And that is what I got out of this question is about what is important about LGBT literature. What, it, what does it matter? What it matters is that every writer, and I know I have quite a few of them listening because I know you guys, you need to write with your own voice, whatever that voice is. If you are a cisgendered heterosexual male, by all means, write as a cisgendered heterosexual male. That doesn't mean that you can't write LGBT characters. That doesn't mean that you can't write women. But you have to realize the perspective that you're coming from. And it can be fun to try to put yourself into the mindset of a person other than yourself. And I recommend writers to do that, to try that from time to time. It's one of the ways that I dealt with my grief over David Bowie's death is I wrote a story from uh, one of my characters' points of view. Because that character, their drag name, partially came from a David Bowie character. And that was uh, Miss Marley. Marley Stardust. And it, it, it helped me in dealing with the feelings that I had by putting them into the mind of someone else. And I think that's a wonderful exercise that we writers get. But I also think it's important for us to be honest about who and what we are and to share our stories and our experience with others. When you read a book of mine like The Chain, what you're getting from that book is my experience of the world. No, I'm not talking about actually going out into the middle of the woods at night, lighting a couple torches to talk to giants. I'm not talking about having a friend who's a fae bartender, though I'm pretty sure our bartender, court, well, actually two of our bartenders might be fae. They're a little light on their feet and seem to be able to work magic. They're, they're almost like a, making little elixirs back there, little potions that bring happiness. So, I don't know. Maybe I do have a fave or a tender or two in my life. But, you know, what, what I'm talking about is the story, the core of the story is true. You know, Nathan's disillusionment is my disillusionment. Nathan having to come to terms with how to survive, how to find strength inside himself is a fight that I have gone through and that I'm still going through. You know, the torture that Sadia goes through with the betray where he feels his own body betraying him is something that I feel personally. That's my voice. You know, I have bad back, I have bad legs, you know, and this turns into that worm that's inside of him, just eating him from the inside out and destroying him. And him having to learn how to overcome it and how to conquer it. And, you know, that's kind of the point of Shine Like Thunder. You know, these characters are taking aspects of my story in a very fictionalized and, you know, fantasized way. But they're my story. They're my voice. They're the way I experience things. They're very idiosyncratically me. 
And I think that, that to me is the great point of writing. And anytime you tell a story, whether that's just your Twitter posts or your Instagram stories, and I don't do Snapchat because I find it racist way, way too often. There seems to be some weird institutionalized racism in there. And when they did the Chinese anime, you know what I'm talking about, that filter, I, I left and I haven't gone back. But, you know, no matter what platform you're on, you know, you're telling a story and you need to make sure it's your story. You need to make sure that it's your honest person because that's where you will find meaning in it. Cause I'll tell you, I found a lot of strength and came to a better understanding of my own situation in writing both of those books. And I'm finding that again with the book that I'm currently working on that is about a person whose life has fallen apart. And, you know, I'll talk about it more in the future as it comes closer to being able to be seen by you guys. But to me, this is the point. Write with your own voice. Whatever your voice is, be honest. Tell your stories as fictionalized as you want or need them to be. But make it honestly and idiosyncratically yours. Don't pretend to be somebody else because you think it'll make you popular. Don't pretend to be somebody else because you think it'll make you money. Be you. You're the only you we have. We need you. Be you. If you want to read the original article, either the one over the University Times or my article inspired by it you can find the show notes as always over at projectshadow.com yeah let's do some fun fun news you ready for a rant i'm gonna try not to rant about this too much because oh this 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 it both makes me angry and breaks my heart yet at the same time it doesn't surprise me at all and I, I have such mixed feelings about this on the one hand and on the other hand. Okay, so Lucasfilm has sued a Jedi, I'm sorry, a lightsaber academy in, as I understand it, it's in New York. And oh, I'm so, so upset about this. Yeah, they have locations in New York and California, and it teaches its members how to wield the prop with sword combat and martial arts skills. Um, okay. What, what upsets me about this is, okay, first of all, if they have a trademark on the term lightsaber, I, I have a problem with that because there are stories from the 1930s and that have laser swords in them, and I do believe I've seen the word lightsaber used in those stories as well. In some of those stories as well. I'd have to do the homework. And frankly, I got a lot going on right now. But if they have a trademark on the term lightsaber, they really shouldn't. Because that, that, that's, not, that, that's prior art. That's something that existed before them. And that really should not be something they own. But 
okay, let's say that they own a trademark and say that they're concerned because these places are overly Star Wars themed. Okay, 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 okay. I guess they're going to be going after the Church of the Jedi next. And that's going to be fun and upsetting in its own special way. But here, here's my problem with this. They're not offering an alternative. Now, I could understand them maybe make, sending them a, a letter saying you have to make very, very sure that you're not saying that we're endorsing this. That we, you know, if somebody gets hurt, I understand Disney and Lucasfilm not wanting to be sued by people that attended this class because they think that it's an officially licensed whatever, right? I, I could understand that if that's the case, and they just want them to be very clear about their intentions. But other than that, the purpose of trademark and the purpose of copyright is to protect yourself and from people profiting off of your work, say the movies, for example. This is why you can't just upload the movies verbatim, unchanged, onto YouTube and make the ad revenue off of them. I understand that. I'm okay with that. Okay. So we'll move on. But also this idea that it's infringing if it hurts the market for your product. Now, this is where, for me, this whole idea completely collapses, falls apart, and makes me just want to scream to high heaven that they're bringing this lawsuit. You don't have a competing product here. I, I don't know of anywhere I can go and attend the George Lucas Jedi Academy. Because honestly, I don't care if it's for eight-year-olds. I would be there. My husband would be there. Half my friends would be there. And we would make them have an adult class. Because I would go to that. In fact, I would probably go to something like this. I love sword fighting. Back in the day, I learned how to do some basic European-style sword fighting. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, I've often thought that that would be a wonderful thing to do to get some physical exercise and maybe something I wanted to get back into. This is even cooler because I love Star Wars. I mean, you come to my house and there's Star Wars every, everywhere. My desk has the giant altar of Yoda, which I'm going to have to stop calling that soon because there are all kinds of other Star Warsy things in there. There's some BB-8s and there's some Rays and there's a Luke and there's a... Huh. No, I do not have anything Han Solo. Wow, that that's not an accident. Other than the giant three-foot Millennium Falcon over in the corner. You know, I have my Palpatines and my Yodas and my Obi-Wans. Yeah. I love Star Wars. I would be down for this. I think it would be great for exercise. I think it would be a lot of fun to do. I think, oh, it just, the idea excites me. You, you are not selling this service. In fact, this service encourages people to bring, to use, lightsabers. That's what they're teaching you, is how to fight with a lightsaber. You sell lightsabers. You sell lightsaber toys. I know this. I own them. Not all of them, but I own some of them. <laughs> I even own the Yoda lightsaber 
thing where you played with the lightsaber and Yoda would say cryptic things to you whether you were doing it right or wrong, even though you weren't really doing anything. Because it just kind of had a little light thing on its chest that just, yeah. That was stupid. And it's kind of falling apart now, which is really sad because the plastic around the eyes wasn't very good or the rubber around the eyes wasn't really good and it's kind of ripped a little bit. But it's okay because it's like right in the creases, so if you can't see it all that, it's not that bad. But <laughs> they're not competing with you. This, that, that's where I have the biggest problem with this. If you were going to launch your own Jedi Academy where people could go and learn these kinds of skills, do your modified kendo or whatever you want to teach them, do some kind of modified fencing, I'd be down for that. If it wasn't too expensive, which it probably would be because it'd be a Disney thing. But if it wasn't too expensive, dude, I would be so down for that. How is this competing with you? How is this hurting your brand? How is this hurting you? It is not a competitive product. They are not hurting the market for your products. Now, I can understand, like I said, I understand the whole idea if you say they're using your trademark without permission. And no, they shouldn't use words like Star Wars. I get that. I, I, I get that. And that's a whole other conversation. But this seems to be about the idea of a lightsaber academy. The more I read about this, the more it feels like it's about it being a lightsaber academy. And... Uh, you know... Uh, first of all, you should not have a trademark on lightsaber. I, I, I'm... I really, it's just like there shouldn't be a trademark on the word superhero. That is a stupid trademark, and the trademark office should be ashamed of itself for allowing something like that to go through. Because, like I said, I'm pretty sure I've read other stories from the 1930s, because I'm a real big fan of Pulp Fiction, and I'm pretty sure that's something that precede, you know, came before them, preceded them. Even if it's not... Okay, so they shouldn't have said Jedi. But, uh, And I know I've actually seen some things that came after that said lightsaber. So, But we're not going to talk about that. This is copyright run amok. I mean, it really is. This is just... I'm done. <laughs> I'm done talking about this. But if you want to read the article, it's from, oddly enough, the Christian Science Monitor... A link to it's in the show notes over at projectshadow.com. Let's talk about one of the world's greatest, to quote Jank Ugers, of course! Yeah, according to the people over at Making Star Wars, and they're kind of reading into this, but they're quoting Daisy Ridley as kind of saying that we're going to find out who's Ray, who Ray's parents are in Episode 8. The quote that they have, Ridley basically says... That, you know, just wait a year and we'll see who her parents are, which of course, oh, in a year we're going to be getting the movie. Okay, 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 okay. First of all, I think it's a duh. It, it, it's the biggest duh question. Are we going to find out who Ray, Ray's parents are in episode eight? The movies have always rhymed with each other. That's why there's a Death Star 
simulation in each and every one of the movies. And in, 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 it's always in the one and three, one and three, one and three. In episode one, you have the droid command ship. That is your Death Star simulacra. In episode three, it's actually divided in half, where you have the space battle at the beginning on General Grievous's ship and the fight on Mustafar at the end. So, beginning and the end, that kind of makes a simulacra of the fight. Okay. Episode four, of course, we get the Death Star. Episode six, of course, we get the Death Star. Episode seven, we get Starkiller Base, which may be Ilum. And if you guys want to talk more about that, oh, oh, we can talk about the Ahsoka book. Might do an entire episode this week about the Ahsoka novel because it was so good. And I highly recommend you get the audiobook. So get it. We read it all in one day. It's only like eight hours, not very long. We did it all in one day. It's read by the actress who played Ahsoka Tano on both Rebels and Clone Wars. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, we'll talk about that more. But so. Okay, episode three, we get, okay, so now we have to rhyme with episodes two, five, and eight. Episode two, Anakin loses his mother. Okay, episode five. Luke loses the image he had of his father because to him his father was a valiant warrior who died fighting Darth Vader and turns out, oh wait, no, he just turned evil and became Darth Vader. So we see this mirror of bad people took Anakin's mother, corrupted and killed her in episode two. We see... Luke have the same experience in episode four, um, five. Since, and I'm going to assume everybody here has already seen The Force Awakens, episode seven. If you haven't seen The Force Awakens, spoiler alert. But if you've been on the internet, you already know this. Because I knew this before the movie came out. This was the first tweet I saw about the movie after the movie came out. Anyway... Um, since they didn't save the death of Han Solo for episode eight, which let's be honest, everybody knew that Han Solo was going to die because Harrison Ford said the only way he would ever do another Star Wars movie was if Han Solo died. But since they already did that, he died, he did, they might try to count that, but they probably won't. That's that. That to me parallels Obi Wan's death on the Death Star. Because remember, these stories rhyme. That's something that they've kept up, and I don't think they're going to stop that. Though I think they're going to give a twist to it, like they did with the way Han Solo died. Okay. So of course, in Episode Eight, unless they're just they just want to be jerks, they're going to reveal who Ray's parents are. 
And for me, I think the best, the, my personal theory is that she is the child of two of the characters from Rebels, that she is the child of Sabine and Ezra Bridger. And I believe that Sabine is the child of Satine and Obi-Wan, who during the whole raid on Mandalore was taken and then was raised by Death Watch. Personal headcanon, I've seen nothing in the story to refute that. In fact, she was born towards the tail end of the Clone Wars. We know that. And we know that she was raised by the Death Watch. We know that. I know they like to do cutesy things to let us know various... to reveal various things to us. And Satine, Sabine, you know, Ray, Ben. I, it, 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 I don't know. That, that's my personal pet theory, is that she is the child of Ezra Bridger and Satine. I'm sorry, and Sabine. And as such, is actually the grandchild of Obi-Wan. Is that likely? I don't know. I think that they will connect her to someone in the universe, and it's not going to be a completely unique character, because they want us to have an ah moment. If, if, if her parents are just some random people that we've never heard of, that re- re- revelation is going to have absolutely no impact on us. We're not going to care. It's just, oh, that's a thing that happened. So I have a feeling they're going to connect it to something. Now, in my wildest dreams, in my dream of dreams, what I want to have happen, what I really, really, really want to have happen, is for them to reveal that she is the child of... Ah, yeah, you already guessed it already. Luke Skywalker. And Mira Jade. I know what you're thinking. Oh, they're never going to do that. They're never going to do that. They're never going to do that. They have heard the huge outcry that so much of the expanded universe was just thrown away when they declared it Legends. And that we wanted some of that to be canonized. And so they've given us some of it back. It's not been a lot, but we got Thrawn back. And it is the Thrawn that I knew and loved from the book. And I'm really excited to read the new book that comes out next year about him. But they gave us Thrawn. Now, the reason I feel that this might be the reveal is because Laura Dern has been cast to be in Episode Eight. We have no idea who she's playing. We have no idea what she's going to be doing in the movie. But it's Laura Dern. This is a woman who plays kick-ass women. She does. I have her IMDb open right in front of me. She was Ellie in Jurassic Park. Can can you think of a more beastly woman? Right? She was Ruth in Citizen Ruth. Right? This is a woman who has always played such strong characters. She was Miss Riley in October Sky. Right? She came back as Ellie for Jurassic Park 3, which was a big mistake. But 
That was true for everybody in there. She was Randy Carpenter, and I am Sam. She had the wonderful, wonderful episode of The West Wing where she played the U.S. Poet Laureate, Tabitha, ah, can't speak, Tabitha Fortis. My language is not with me today. And on and on and on and on. You look at her career and the types of characters that she plays, and I know a lot of people think that she's going to be playing a senator for the First Order or somebody who defected to the First Order. I look at I look at Laura Dern. I'm looking at the picture of Laura Dern right now with her blonde hair and slightly red tints. And I think to myself, well, what would happen if you dyed that hair red? Is Laura Dern someone who could stand toe to toe with someone like Mark Hamill? Is she? Just think about it for a minute. Can you see Laura Dern standing up to Mark Hamill? In the way that a Mary Jane would. I can. And I think that it makes sense in some strange way. And when you look at her and you look at Daisy Ridley, I think she's believable as Daisy Ridley's um, father, uh, mother. And you kind of look at Daisy Ridley, and you look at Mark Hamill, and you took look at Laura Dern, and you ask, what would the child of Laura Dern and Mark Hamill look like? Daisy Ridley. Now, Mark Hamill's a little bit older than her, about 11 years, but that doesn't mean that she didn't meet later. It would explain... Daisy Ridley's accent because Daisy Ridley is playing Ray with an Imperial Core Worlds accent. Now, if you are Mara Jade and you kind of grew up under Palpatine's tutelage in the Core Worlds, had to be able to sneak around and fit in that environment to be the Emperor's hand and do what he wanted you to do, you probably would have that core world imperial accent, like Ray. I'm not saying that they're going to do this. I do think it would be a great love letter to the fans. I think it would be a wonderful love letter to the fans if they did that. We'll have to wait and see. But th those, to me, are the most likely versions of the story. I think the connection between her and... Kylo Ren is a familial one, and for all you people that are shipping them really, really hard, I think you're going to feel kind of the same way people that were, we didn't call it shipping back then, but the people that thought that um, Leia and Luke might end up together kind of felt dirty when we found out they were brother and sister. Yeah, you might feel that way when you find out that they're cousins. So, be careful with all that. Because the stories are the Skywalker family saga. Mira Jade left Rey with Ankar Plot 
who, let, let's be honest here, acts very bizarrely for a captor. Like, just say that he is a captor, right? Why is he so afraid that he would waste the time and energy to chase Ray down, cause such a scene that he loses his arms to a Wookiee, and before you say that's not in the movie, that, that is in the book, and the book is canon. Ankar Plutt has no arms. <laughs> if he wasn't afraid of Daisy's, I'm sorry, of Ray's parents. Why would he do that? No answer? I have one. Because the former hand of the Emperor told him to keep her alive. Which he has been doing to the letter. He has been keeping her alive. I don't know. That's what makes sense to me. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Let me know in the comments or hit me up on social media about that. Okay, a couple more things before we go. And the first one is just... For all you fan fiction writers out there, and I know there are a bunch of you, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce this. J.D. Supra, I believe, business advisor, published a list of ten copyright cases every fan fiction writer should know about. And it, it, it's very informative. It'll give you a state of where everything is. Um, it talks about the whole Axanar thing. Which, if you haven't been following that up, that just just Google Axanar and uh, get angry. Um, I, I don't know which I'm most frustrated about that the lawsuit happened or that they withdrew when they realized that they probably didn't have a trademark or a copyright on the uh, Klingon language, which is what they were one of the main arguments that they were using against the movie. I don't know. Anyway. It's a very interesting piece. Lots of detail about the current state of things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Definitely check it out. Link to that in the show notes over at projectshadow.com. Jessica Jones, according to Slash Film Season 2, which I can't wait for, will be directed entirely by women. I think that's amazing. I, 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 I'm so excited about that. So, yes. <laughs> Make this happen. See, see earlier. See my earlier statement that I really want people to speak from their own voice. And I think having such a strong female superhero. And if you haven't seen Jessica Jones season one, you should see it for many reasons. One, if you like Luke Cage, Luke Cage makes his debut actually in this series. They make a couple references back to it, and he's amazing in that too. But if you're a David Tennant fan, David Tennant is so good as the villain. He plays the Purple Man. Oh, so good. Jessica Jones, great series. But I think it only adds to the authenticity of the show to let it be female run like this. Because it, it's what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. It's letting that authentic voice come through. I, I, I can't wait to see it. This isn't like why I'm excited. I think this is just a brilliant and beautiful thing. 
Um, especially because, you know, the first season was so good. I, I can't wait to see the flavor that this brings to season two, and I can't wait to find out more about season two. And the last thing I want to talk to you guys about, I am starting what I'm calling the Reconnection Project. I started this with a post over on the blog over at Project Shadow today. I'm going to be turning 40 this year. Big round number. I don't think I'm supposed to say that because I guess that means a lot of you are going to stop listening to me now because you realize how much old, how old I am. But it, it, it's been a weird, weird time. And as you guys know, I've been struggling to get back together after a very severe bout of depression that lasted for about two years that was really, really bad. And I have started this as a way to reconnect with both the things that I love and to try to get other people to reconnect to the things that they love. I really want people to take these 17 days. In 17 days, I turn 40. And so I'm going to be posting every day about the things that I love and about reconnecting to those things and forging those links so that we, I, I can get myself back to where I want to be. <clears throat> and I advise you to do it too. I would just love to see you guys take this time to post about what you love and why you love it and why it means something to you, whatever it is. And just make this a celebration of those things that connect you to others and that just makes your heart warm, that just makes your heart beat. I'm really excited about this. I'll be putting a link to all of the artwork for this and for the um, posts and everything over at Project Shadow. I've created a special page. You'll see a projects folder. When you land on the site, and there you'll see the reconnection project. Um, the first post, taking back your life one thing at a time, is kind of my story of what led me to here and where I am and where I came from. And the first thing that I'm trying to reconnect myself with is the podcasting, the blogging, and the writing. Because those are the three things that I love doing, and I love doing them so much. And I stopped doing them for stupid, stupid reasons. And reasons born out of depression. And I'm not going to give them up anymore. Like, I don't care if there's anybody listening to this right now. And I know from looking at the statistics that, you know, there's several hundred of you out there that are listening. And thank you so, so very much for that. But I, I just want to take this time to reconnect with me, reconnect with the things that I love, and encourage everyone to reconnect to the people and things that they love. What, what, what is it that makes you happy? You know, as I sit here recording this, holding my handbook for the recently deceased, <laughs> I love Beetlejuice so much. Yeah. What are, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that you miss that you want to start doing again? You know, it, not everyone falls into the dark pit that I did, and that's a great and wonderful thing. But all of us get distracted from those things in life that really, truly make us feel alive. And that, to me, is what this is about. What are those things that just give you life? 
to give you wings. And so if you could join me in the next 17 days and sharing those things, that would really make a lot to me. Share it with the hashtag reconnect. And yeah, I can't wait to hear what everybody says. I'm very excited about this and I do plan to do this again tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Probably the Ahsoka book. Probably the Ahsoka book because I really want to talk about that with you. But until then, thank you so much for putting up with me for all these years, especially those of you who have been with me since the beginning. Sorry the episode ran long, but I had a lot of things to say, and I haven't been saying them, so it it took some time. Anyway, I love you all, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have the fun.